coming up on the Tall Mike Wine Podcast. The only thing I knew about Washington State was Kurt Cobain, and I was a huge Nirvana fan. And I was like, are you kidding me? They make wine too? What does this place not do? I mean, I've had some incredible Cabernet Sauvignons. I hate to pick on it, but it's such an easy varietal to pick on. Because people like Donald Trump Jr. call themselves best-selling authors. And Donald Trump Jr. is a lot of things, most of which I wouldn't want to say on my podcast. But best-selling <laughs> author? You and I should just be best friends. You need to move to Maine. <laughs> A wine guy who likes books. And now, the Tall Mike Wine Podcast. The cell phones have been silenced. The wine is poured. And just like that, the podcast begins. The Tall Mike Wine Podcast. The wine podcast that's not all about wine. The wine podcast like no other. And I am your host, Mike Stone, speaking to you from my home in Novato, California, on the podcast heard in 49 countries on six continents, including 47 of these United States, from Tobihana, Pennsylvania, to Davison, Michigan, from Blanchard, Idaho, to Akakeek, Maryland. And here we are at episode 31. I'll introduce my guest in a moment, but first, an update. Many updates. Actually, it may seem to you that episode 30 was weeks ago, and you would be correct in feeling that way. And my apologies if I have messed up your schedule, but there were issues. A few issues at the winery, Nicholson Ranch in Sonoma, where I work, the big winery party, Pigs and Pinot, the hospitalization of Deepak, my boss, and some other people who were out with COVID instead of coming back from vacations there was an issue with my laptop without which I cannot make a podcast. So a big thank you for fixing me up to Banam at Marin Computers. A real computer genius, this guy. If you're in Northern California and you need a computer, Banam at Marin Computers is the guy, the only guy I recommend. He's got this little shop in a not-so-well-traveled part of San Rafael, and without saying too much, I'll say he knows his shit, man. Building computers, fixing computers. He has sold me and maintained my last few laptops. And I love the guy. Oddly, he does not drink. So I can't slide him a bonus bottle of wine for his troubles. But I can send you there and he'll become your computer guru. Marin Computers, 415-459-4590. Tell him Tall Mike sent you. Tall Mike the podcast guy. So I got Deepak back at the winery, and then I had to check out for a bit. I traveled back to my hometown of Bremerton, Washington, and attended my 40th high school reunion. I handed out a lot of coasters. It was fun. But now it's time to get back to the podcast. My guest, he is a best-selling author who lives in Cape Elizabeth, Maine, but not too many years ago, he lived in one of the most well-known wine regions of Washington State and started writing books, fiction, page-turners. There's a series of these books called The Red Mountain Chronicles, and there's a lot more to this guy's story. The author's name is Boo Walker. I caught up with him via Zoom on a recent afternoon and, of course, sipped a little wine. I saw you pour your uh, wine. I was like, oh, this is just the worst. I should have done the same thing. My wife and I have taken two weeks off and 
we just looked at each other today and we were like, she's kind of boring. Like our whole life is food and wine. Why are we, we're going totally vegan, no wheat and no alcohol for two weeks. And I was oh just like, I, I think I've had enough. We made reservations in an Italian restaurant here in an hour. Good for you guys. What was the the idea about? You know, COVID just kind of let ourselves go. And then we were living in Spain for a year and a half and eating every lunch and every dinner out and putting on a little bit of weight. And, you know, honestly, about a month ago, I realized I wasn't even taking the time to sniff wine anymore. I'd lost respect for it. I thought, let's just take a couple of weeks okay. to kind of have a gut check, you know? Yeah. It's good to reset once in a while. I like to take a day or two off. <laughs> Yeah, That's no. what I was like. Let's just do a weekend next time. Let's just take like two days off. We don't need to do fourteen days. Yeah, let's let's know. let's talk about your name. This uh, nom de plume of yours, Boo Walker. Yeah. And, and when one pronounces it, one must pause between Boo and Walker because otherwise you get this Walker thing. <laughs> Walker. This is a product of a Spartanburg, South Carolinian youth. Everybody has a nickname that has nothing to do with their real name often. My, my real name is Lemuel Harold Walker III. My son's the fourth. Wow. We're like South Carolina royalty, but no one knows that. So, so Walker me. is your last name. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. I like it, though. Boo Walker. You have to be careful, though. You have to pause. I just I had a guy on the podcast named Curtis Steigers recently same thing if you say Curtis Steigers, it's all one word. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Those things I notice to the ear. How are things in Cape Elizabeth, Maine? Cape Elizabeth. Yes. So I used to run sales for hedges out of Washington state. And at one point, my wife and I looked at each other and we were like, we've been in Washington too long. We need to do something. So we uh, moved to St. Pete, Florida to connect with her family and to have a tropical experience. And I wrote a book there. Then I, we moved to Spain and I wrote a book there. And we were looking for a place to kind of settle because our son is, he's nine. He's a little worn out of the, the road. And I came up here to research a book up in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. It was like everything we'd been looking for. I was a little afraid of the winters as everybody is. But other than that, it, it was just this perfect sized town. There was this very beautiful literary vibe. There's this influx of chefs and knowledgeable foodie people that come in from Boston and New York that are just kind of fed up with the big city. So there's that, which is I found during my uh, dry past couple of weeks with not eating out much that my life is, revolves around food and wine. So that was a big part of the decision. So here we are in this little town called Cape Elizabeth right outside of Portland. I'm sure it's peaceful there. I'm sure you get a chance to just collect your thoughts and get things ready to be put on paper. Yeah, it is. We, we live just a few houses from this amazing beach, this rocky beach that like if you closed your eyes and met and imagined a coastal cliff in Maine, that's what it is. And so we kind of start our days there, often drinking some coffee. And in the winter, you know, I was scared of the winter. Of course, it gets really cold and I have South Carolinian blood, but the snow is fantastic. When the snow is coming down outside my windows and I'm trying to think of characters and stories. I can see why Stephen King was able to keep spitting them out for so long. I was just going to say, put you in that Stephen King frame of mind. I know. I'm constantly wanting to like have some phantom come out of the walls or like some murderer with a knife, but <laughs> it would not work with my book club fiction. Your bio says you were in Nashville writing songs and playing the banjo at some point. Uh, when was that? What age? 
Yeah. So I, uh, I was a bit of a hellion in, as a teenager. And then I discovered the banjo. I've always been a deadhead, like lifelong deadhead. I don't even know when I fell in love with Jerry Garcia, but he was a great banjo player. He's from your neck of the woods. That yes. Whole, the whole yes. band. And I fell in love with California bluegrass, David Grisman and uh, Jerry Garcia. And I started learning the banjo when I was 17, right when I was just causing more problems than my parents could barely handle. And I went to boarding school, connected with some other bluegrass musicians. Boy, that was like laser focus all of a sudden. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And I played probably nine hours a day, every single day for a few years and majored in the banjo at the College of Charleston. And we moved to Nashville, dropped out of school my last during my senior year to go to Nashville with this band. And we were rocking it. We had a really good time playing with some um, big acts. And then I just completely got sideswiped by a hand issue that um, oh, called, something called focal dystonia that is career ending. So I went back to Charleston with my tail in between my legs, trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with my life. And then and you, you decided you were going to start writing? I had always wanted to write and I was a big reader. But no, I, I went through a couple of different phases. I decided I was going to be rich. If I couldn't couldn't be a, the, the first famous rock banjo player that I wanted to make some good money. And so I got into computer programming and I stumbled into this awesome internship and got into day trading. And I did that for a few years and kind of had a midlife quarter life crisis where I said, all right, I got to get back to being creative. I started writing and the wine bug bit me real bad. And when it bit me back then, we were kind of working with a lot of big banks. I was being taken out to dinner a lot and drinking a lot of really big, high scoring wines because I had sure. no idea what I was doing. You know, business like kind dinners. Of business dinners. That was my intro into wine. And when I ended up moving out to Washington State, is kind of the culmination of this quarter life crisis. I quickly met the Hedges and she's from Champagne. So their whole vibe is this French mentality about wine. And very quickly, I learned that it wasn't all about the biggest, baddest, boldest Cabernet Sauvignon that you could put in your glass. You know, my taste quickly changed after that. So you find yourself on Red Mountain for a job in wine. Is that how you got there? When I was a day trader... I would go to this wine shop in Charleston. I met this woman named Debbie Marlowe. She would fill up my case of wine every couple of weeks. And I would bring back what I liked. And I went in one time and she said, you just missed this guy named Christoph Hedges. You should try his wine. So I took it home. You know that moment when you just have a wine and you're like, oh shit, this is bigger than this bottle of wine. This is like resonating in my soul or something. And the only thing I knew about Washington State was Kurt Cobain, and I was a huge Nirvana fan. And I was like, are you kidding me? They make wine, too? What What does this place not do? <laughs> they have it all. They have everything. <laughs> they have the grunge scene, and they have amazing wine. So I kind of just started drinking a lot of Washington State wine, and it was getting sideways came out about that time. So this is like early 2000s? Yeah, this was early 2000s. Yeah, exactly. You know, I remember watching Sideways and just thinking, People do this for a living. Like you just hang out in tasting rooms and you just mm -hmm. sip wine. And, you know, there was no part of me that wasn't going to just leave everything. So I abandoned my pretty well-paying job and checked out Pinot Country in Oregon and checked out Paso Robles and then checked out Walla Walla. And then, of course, I went to Red Mountain because of Hedges. And as soon as I walked in, knocked on the door, I was I just felt like 
this is my place. I found a double wide trailer on Craigslist right on the vineyards, right smack on top of Red Mountain. Walked up the hedges two days later. It was the second time I've been there and said, you know, I'm Boo from South Carolina. I know nothing, but I've come to start a winery. And uh, in the meantime, I'd love to learn everything you can. Sure enough, we became best friends and they put me in the vineyard working minimum wage in the vines. And then I just remember those like glorious days when Sarah, the winemaker, would grab me in her truck and say, hey, you want to come to the bottling line? And then it was like, you want to come in the lab with me? And slowly like accepting like, hey, this this guy from South Carolina is taking this seriously. He's not just like chasing this romance. He's here to stay. Right. And so then I just continued to work for Hedges for like maybe 12 years or something and ended up running sales halfway through. So your original intent when you moved to Washington was to open your own winery? Yeah, exactly. I had a little money in my pocket because I'd been doing a pretty good gig. And I thought, well, I all I got to do is learn. W, my backup plan was Red Mountain was very close to WSU and mm-hmm. to the Richland Wine Program, which is mm-hmm. an affiliate of WSU. And right. so I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to just go back and get another undergrad in analogy. Or, and so that was my backup plan. Get in there, somehow find a job and just like, and then start that fall at school again. And so I even got into WSU. I mean, I was ready to go. Okay. Whole, you know, a whole other thing. Things started moving fast. I think I remember at some point, Mr. Hedges said, I'd love for you to uh, join the sales team but you'll have to abandon your idea of a winery because that would just wouldn't make sense for you to try to, I want you 100% full time. And and it was kind of a no brainer. I mean, when when you're around Mr. and Mrs. Hedges, you feel like you are around people that have helped make the industry in Washington and and you are. Well, they're one of the earlier families up there on Red Mountain, along with uh, the people at Kiona and the people that planted the Clipson Vineyard. But how long uh, after you got to Red Mountain did you begin to have visions of people like Otis Till and Margot Pierce and Amelia Forrester and Brooks Baker dancing in your head, who you would then turn into the characters in your uh, Red Mountain book series? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, when I was in Charleston, I was writing thrillers. Once I realized I couldn't play the banjo anymore, I really needed another outlet. And I started writing thrillers and I wrote three and was kind of, frustrated because I I thought they were pretty good, but I couldn't land a good publishing deal. So when we moved out to Red Mountain, it was obvious that you got to be as crazy as I am to live on Red Mountain because there's nothing out there. It's not even like Sonoma, you know, like Sonoma, you have San Francisco and you have Napa and you have all this awesome stuff going on. Red Mountain, there's not even restaurants. Like there's, if, if you're coming to Red Mountain, you're moving in with some people that have nothing to do with wine or their entire focus is we're discovering this new terroir, this new frontier, and we want to be a part of it. You know, there were 50 people living around Red Mountain and their entire focus was elevating Red Mountain and the status of it and spreading the message. The strangest, most different people in the world, just like me. And I, you know, I've been writing thrillers a long time. And I want to write page turners, but what if I took away the guns and just Mm -hmm. started going after these people and what everybody's stories are, what brings these crazy people to Red Mountain, you know? And then once they're in Red Mountain, how do they become a part of this community? Ultimately, their struggles to, you know, make their terroir terroir known across the world. You know, the the first character was this guy named Otis, who was like a a mix of some of my heroes, Mr. Hedges and his son, Christoph and, and uh, the Kiona folks. And 
people like that, all these these guys who were working so hard day and night and they just woke up and dreamed Red Mountain. And then I could just imagine all the nightmares that they would experience. In fact, in the second book, I had I had this big conglomerate winery come and they wanted to start this almost circus fair thing on Red Mountain. You know, I saw a lot of opportunities for drama with with Otis. So at what point did you start to gather these thoughts and then finally sit down and put it on paper? It was pretty, pretty quick. I moved to Red Mountain in 2008. And I think though I published it officially probably in 2015, I started it about 2011, just because it was a new genre. I really needed a lot of help. So I worked with a lot of developmental editors and had people read it and I deleted it a bunch so then by 2015, it was ready to go. And it, so you were doing this while you were working for Hedges? Like you had a full-time day job? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, honestly, since I started writing probably in 2005, that has always been a second day job. It's been 40 hours, 50 hours a week. It was one of those things, like I was traveling a lot for Hedges globally. And so in airplanes and in hotels in the morning before I'd go, you know, sell the gospel of Red Mountain. I'd okay. be typing away. And it was perfect because I was when I was traveling and selling wine, I was meeting geeks like me all over the world who were just feeding me knowledge. That's really amazing. The reading the synopsis of the series, I get a very uh, Kent Haruf, plain song, Holt, Colorado kind of vibe. Do you know him? I know him and I need to read him. I was just looking at my <laughs> shelf. I've got plain song on my okay. shelf and, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to do it. Now we have come to the point on the podcast where I say to you, Boo, what is in your glass? Well, after two weeks off, I, I thought I would start with a slightly petulant Vino Verde. Okay. Why don't you show me the label? I'll take a picture. Oh, I'll have to send it to you later. It's downstairs. <laughs> okay. I should have brought it. Sorry. What is the name of the Vino Verde you are uh, sipping? Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. It's okay. It'll be in the show notes. I had such <laughs> short notice. I like I had to go down two flights of stairs. And... But you're enjoying it, right? Oh my God, it's good to be back. After it... a couple of weeks. Uh, let's talk about wine in general and Red Mountain wine in particular. Aside from the hedges, of course, favorite wines, favorite people. One of my favorite Red Mountain wines is Kiona. They just are, as you mentioned earlier, they're the OGs. I love how they seem to just be this capsule in time. They don't seem to be totally affected by some of the things that I, I felt like we were facing at Hedges. They don't seem to be trying to keep up with the Joneses sometimes. You know, they're famous for their limber. Who, mm -hmm. who grows limber? When you go in into the tasting room, which is this gorgeous tasting room that looks out over the oldest vines of Red Mountain, you just get to taste things where you're like, oh, I had no idea what that grape was or... You know, I definitely haven't had one in Washington State. And that kind of thing really gets me excited. I get a little bit exhausted by the constant Cabernet Sauvignon infusion of like, you know, how big can we make it? And right. my neighbors make it and the next neighbors make mm -hmm. it and stuff. It just gets a little like I, I, Washington has more potential than just Cabernet Sauvignon. And, you know, they're great. I mean, I've had some incredible Cabernet Sauvignons. I hate to pick on it, but it's such an easy varietal to pick on um, trying to think who else. Well, the Good Hearts, it, which is uh, Sarah, is the, one of the hedges. She's the head winemaker at Hedges. She married Brent Goodhart. They were making a Syrah for a while, but most of the things that I learned was in helping them make their what twenty barrels every year. Their Syrah 
still is one of my favorites ever. And we drank one of the last bottles before we moved to Spain a couple of years ago. That Syrah was beyond anything I've had in the U.S. just about. So that's a small label called Goodheart. Goodheart. Yeah. And she still just does just a little bit that probably never leaves the tasting room anymore. You know, maybe wine dinners and stuff. Kiona and of course Colsolari is so fun to visit because that's a project between Antonori and Chateau Saint Michel, mm-hmm. and they're always doing cool things. They have a grappa that they make. They, I think it's illegal to make it in the same building unless you have a marked off space. So they have like a little grappa distillery that's that's like taped off down in their wine room. And Colsolari is one of those things where you know you're surrounded by young and up and coming and upstart and, uh, you know, low budget wineries that have sprung from garages and Cole Solari comes from the other end of the spectrum where what if we built a winery and we had all the money we could ever use because you've got, like you said, Chateau St. Michel and the Antonori's over in Italy and they've created some delicious wine. I didn't know about the grappa. But it was neat to have such a big, powerful force come in and pave a couple of the roads and Kind of brings some higher knowledge and some world-class winemakers and stuff like that. There's a lot of people up there now. It's getting bigger and bigger, but I still feel like it's small. It's it's still super small. It's just getting to where it needs to be. I'm going to ask you something about a thing that pops up when you emailed me. I reached out to you through your website. When I got an email back from you, it said a message from best-selling author Boo Walker. How does one get to call themselves a best-selling author? I mean, is there a threshold? Because, you know, if you look out into the world, people like Donald Trump Jr. call themselves best-selling authors. And Donald Trump Jr. is a lot of things, most of which I wouldn't want to say on my podcast. But (laughs) best-selling author? Really? Uh, At what point did you feel comfortable calling yourself that? I think that is exactly the point. When you can look someone in the eyes and say, I'm a best-selling author, that's when you know you can use that term. I, I suppose it can, you can get more scientific than that. The majority of the books that I sell are through Amazon. Matter of fact, my self-published stuff is through Amazon. And then they have a publishing entity as well. And I'm under their book club umbrella. In both cases, just about all my books have been pretty big bestsellers in, in the past few years. So you get a little orange tag that says number no. one in your category or that That's they, they have a real. top That's of the feel list. really good. It does feel really good. I mean, a lot of years working to, to get to yeah. that point. That, that little orange tag has a lot of weight to it. That's cool, man. Do you want to know what's in my glass? I do want to know what's in your glass. Okay. I decided, you know, instead of going for the obvious open a bottle of Red Mountain wine, uh, I have a lot of wine stacked up in my wine rack from people like Hightower. Oh, cool. And some other pretty well-known, well, well-known for Red Mountain kind of names. I decided to go California. This just happens to be, I'm finishing off what I started drinking last night. This is a Syrah from the Russian River Valley here in California. I know Dumal. From Dumal. They started out as a fairly small project many years ago, and now they make uh, mostly Pinots and Chardonnays grown all around the Russian River Valley. This happens to be Syrah. They call it their wild mountainside Russian River Valley Syrah from 2016, and it's uh, sourced from two or three mountain vineyards within the Russian River AVA. It says in the tech notes that one of the vineyards is known to produce fruit that has this sort of peppery, gamey, and all this great stuff that is non-fruit related. You know, when you get a Syrah that kind of smells like bacon fat. Totally. This is that kind of wine. Oh, that's perfect. That I brought up the Goodhart Syrahs. 
And I think the Hedges Syrahs in general all have that super gamey duck fat quality that is so unbelievable. It's like this is your introduction to true wine when you can get into those Syrahs that are like that. Because you're right, it's not fruit at all. It's these tertiary flavors that you're like, is this okay to like? Because right. it doesn't seem like grapes to me. No, you're going you realize, to a different yeah. level. You're going to a different level of appreciation of wine once you get past the fruit flavors and you really start to groove on the non-fruit flavors. Tell me about this line from your Twitter bio. I just happened to check it out today. Some call me the dysfunctional Buddha. Good. What is that? Yeah, no one's ever asked me that. I'm so glad you noticed that. So I am notoriously a lover of self-help books, self-development books. They've always rung true to me and like helped kind of guide me. Because otherwise, I could get a little bit lost and stuff. I, I've finally slowed down. Man, I'm 43. I think I've finally achieved enlightenment, and I don't need to read them anymore. No, that's not true. I think I've read them all. Is what it is. And I finally slowed down. But probably for 15 or 20 years, I read more nonfiction and more self development than I did fiction. And so when I started writing Red Mountain, there was always this element of like I'm ready. Like I, I would take characters that are super dysfunctional and flawed and see how they could find healing and find peace and take a step toward their bigger self. I used what I had been studying and reading for all these years to give them the tools that they needed. Like a part of me would like to think that my books are a little bit like self-development books hidden in fiction. Okay. You know? And that's, that's kind of what they've become. And a lot of it is as my wife can testify, I married a psychotherapist because I needed one in my house at all times because I'm, <laughs> I'm truly a mess. I'm just a complete, I can be up so high at points writing at the best and be this best-selling author. And then the next day I can, though, though I've got a book in the top 10 in the world or something, I can be so down on myself and so frustrated and think I'm a one-hit wonder. I, as I take tackle each book, I always just think, what am I most struggling with in my life at this moment? And I'm going to make that character struggle with that. And then I'm going to try to figure it out through this character. That's a beautiful concept. I like it a lot. I noticed on your website, you do list a lot of your favorite books and uh, you do have quite a bit of uh, self-help, a whole list of self-help books. And I actually said, oh, look, he's got this book on here that I'm currently reading, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Oh, yes. It's good stuff. It was recommended to me by somebody in a, a podcast group that I'm in on Facebook. Somebody was talking about suffering from imposter syndrome and, you know, how do you keep pushing yourself? How do you get over all those feelings of like, oh, who am I? You know, and somebody in the thread mentioned this book and I thought, well, that sounds like a cool book. So I ordered it. I could talk about that book and what you just point, um, brought up for uh, ad nauseum. I, there, it's one of those few books, just like The Power of Now for me, where there was like my life before and then there was my life after. And I think what I just have always taken from that book is I closed it and just thought, no more excuses, no more like attaching my ego to it. Just get your butt in the chair and type words every day. Yeah. And, I love the way he know. just says, you know, you just have to sit down and do your work. Just do your work. It's over really and simple. over and over again. This is an excuse. You just need to sit down and do your work. It, my biggest growth as an author of the past 15 years is I really, being a lover of Kurt Cobain, I really have always preferred to be kind of a, emotionally torn writer and artist in general. 
I think over the years, I've just realized that you don't have to be that way. Even you just though have the to chicks be disciplined. The chicks really dig it, but it's a really <laughs> tough way to make a living. I'll yes. tell you, you know, it's not I mean, good for your body. It's not good for your body. So I, I'm coming more and more to the fact of just sit down, detach from your ego and just do what you do and recognize that maybe you have a little bit of a gift and every once in a while, the sparks are going to fly and it's going to be great. And then there's going to be bad days too. And who cares, man? You're just like a small peon, an atom in the universe. It's okay if you have a bad day. It just doesn't matter. You know, just let it go and do your thing and yeah, try to be happy about sit it. Sit down, do the work. Someday the little orange thing will show up on Amazon and you'll be a best-selling author. Resilience is all it comes down to. That's right. You list some really good books that you love on the website. Great list. One of my one of my favorite Northwest authors, Jess Walter's Beautiful Ruins. Yeah, oh, love that book. I can't believe you've read that book. You, you and I should just be best friends. You need to move to Maine. <laughs> A wine guy who likes books. I mean. Uh, Jonathan Safran Foer is someone I like. And then, of course, you have the Titans, Hemingway and Fitzgerald. What is a uh, recent book you've read and loved? There is a book called Ask Again, Yes. I think that's it. Mary Beth Keene. And I read it earlier than the in the year. And that will be the best book I've read in a couple of years. And it will continue to be. I was floored by it. It was like kind of Irish cop family drama. And I just was completely mesmerized by it. I get so frustrated reading these days. I'm, I'm really trying to hold true to that rule of like, if I'm 100 pages in or even 50, I put it down. If I'm not like, I got to keep going. I'm sitting down with my time, which I would like to think is rather valuable. And I want to be like knocked out, uh, you know, off my socks. It's the same with wine. I just told my wife, we went to my favorite wine shop called Maine and Loire in Portland after, oh, you know what started this whole thing is we were watching Stanley Tucci's new show. Okay. Um, you know, the Italian show. Yeah. And he was he was drinking Barolo. And I looked at my wife and I just said, we're not drinking well enough. We were like trying to save money and we're just drinking <laughs> peasant wines, which is fine for Monday, but we need to drink better. So we went to my favorite wine shop and just loaded up. We, we said, you know, if, if the money is the problem, then we need to take a couple of days off a week, but we need to drink better wines because life is short. And I feel the same way about books. I just want to be blown away every single time. I'm, I'm not looking just for some quick, cheap entertainment. You know, I'm looking for something where I close the book and I'm like, holy shit, my life just got changed yet again. Like I'm, I'm waking up tomorrow a different person. What's the name of the author again? Mary Beth Keene. And the book? Ask Again, Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm checking it. Ask again. I'll yes. put that in. Oh, the, I did. I nailed it. Okay. I'll put that in. The, I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, have you been on a lot of podcasts? I have, especially the past year. You know, I think COVID has driven everybody to um, these kind of Zoom things and, and podcasts and stuff. Um, well, the medium is exploding. You know, there are two and a half million podcasts in the world. And it's kind of a the point where you can make one yourself if you feel like you have something to say, which is what I did with this podcast. Oh, I love, well, your voice is just golden for it. You clearly have an interest in interesting things. So why not? There's never too many podcasts. Thank you for the compliment. Do you have any podcast recommendations for us? i tell you one that just blew me away recently was Ira Glass interviewing Emily St. John Mandel, who wrote Station Eleven and mm -hmm. then most recently Sea of Tranquility. I've just read about her in the in the New Yorker, I think. His interview with her is astounding. She where does she come from? Where is that brain? What is happening? I just 
feel like I'm such a small peon in the writing world when I listen to her talk. And it makes me excited. It's one of those things where I never want to write again. And then I want to write all nonstop at the same oh, time, man. you know? Yeah. Other than that, my guilty pleasure, especially while I was in Spain, every single day during my deadline, I would write till about 1030. And then I would go walk to through the Turia Gardens in Valencia and listen to Smartless. I'd never have I just listened to something and been so just guilty pleasure almost like I would just laugh out loud. Yeah, those guys are pretty funny. Yeah, they're funny. They're great guests. And Well, is there anything else you want to tell us about Boo Walker? I would be remiss not to talk about my book that comes out in 15, 14 days. Oh, let's talk about the book. What is the date? Because I can't exactly tell you when this podcast is going to drop. A Spanish Sunrise hits the shelves on August 16th. Okay. Yeah. And this is the result of me moving to Spain, to Valencia two years ago. There were a couple inspirations behind it. One was I really wanted to write another vineyard book, but I didn't, I I needed to take a break from Red Mountain and I didn't want to fall into the same trap. I didn't want to be like the vineyard fiction guy. I just so happened to become friends with the owner of oliveoillovers.com. And I have just become so fascinated with olive oil. And she linked me with some of the most important olive estates in Spain. A lot of the time I got to tour and stay on these places that were extraordinary. And so I set the book on an olive estate. The other inspiration was one of my favorite movies of all time by Ridley Scott, A Good Year with Russell Crowe. Have you ever seen that? I've not seen it, but I had an episode of the podcast where we talked about wine movies. There's a lot of them, most of them really bad really bad yeah i mean <laughs> for me sideways you know as far as really uh, good sideways is amazing and a good year just hit hit everything for me i mean it's it's the classic in this case russell crowe's an english man from london who's just got this american kind of mindset of go 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 and then it's thrust into a small vineyard that he's inherited in south of france and i just love that idea of about moving to Spain and being just slowed down a little bit, learning about the siesta and learning that, hey, man, your whole life is not defined by your paycheck or your bestseller status or anything like that. This book was about an American who is uh, has lost his wife in South Carolina and is trying to be a good father to his little girl. And this DNA test leads them to this family they didn't know they had in Spain. But they walk into a complete shitstorm when they find out this family has problems of their own. It's not a bad life you've got. You move to an area and kind of soak up the culture and are inspired to write a novel. And then you're a best-selling author. <laughs> it's pretty good. Now I, I finally have to figure out how to write books without going there, which is what most people do. It's a skill that I need to take on because I, I, I don't want to set everything in Maine and like I said, I've, I've promised my son we got to chill out for a little bit. We're not going to move for a while. Tell me the name of the book again that's coming out. A Spanish Sunrise. A Spanish Sunrise. And what's the date? August 16th. All right. Beautiful. Boo Walker has been my guest on the Tall Mike Wine Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out. I really appreciate it. This has been my pleasure. It's really fun to chat with you. The Tall Mike Wine Podcast was conceived and is written, produced, edited, and maintained by yours truly. For questions, suggestions, or your very own stack of Tall Mike Wine Podcast coasters, 
send me an email to tallmikewine at gmail.com. To follow along with what I'm drinking, eating, with whom I am chatting on the podcast in pictures, follow me on Instagram at tallmikewine. Show me what you're drinking by using my hashtag sexybottleshot, and I will follow you. And of course, it's very important for you to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, or at least subscribe, follow, or like on whichever app you're using. Thanks, Boo Walker, for hanging with me for episode 31. From Novato, California, I'm Mike Stone. Cheers. Cheers.